Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your host, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Well, hello. It is your co-host slash host, solo host again, Lance Psycho. Uh, If you haven't noticed, Alex and I haven't been doing uh, the Friday episode, and that is simply because last weekend he was on vacation and now this weekend I'm headed on a vacation. So uh, just last episode I did a solo cast in place of that. In this episode, uh, what I did is I interviewed uh, another business owner, another entrepreneur. So I hope you enjoy it. But before we get into the show, I just want to remind everybody that this episode is sponsored by ArcCat. That's ArcCat.com. We've used ArcCat for, for many, many years, and we continue to use ArcCat. Uh, we go there for specifications, BIM models, CAD models, everything that uh, an architect or a specifier needs, uh, ArcCat will take care of you. So if you're looking for any of those items, uh, check on check out ArcCat.com. Go to ArcCat.com today and start building better content. And this episode is also brought to you by Dell.com. That's right. Go to Dell.com forward slash inside the firm. And when you go to that website to be able to, if you, if you click the save now button, you'll get a member ID and you'll be able to take advantage of exclusive discounts as a listener of inside the firm podcast uh, on their firms, uh, select Dell PCs, servers, accessories, and more. So if you are in the hunt for more hardware, as we uh, enter the fall here, I know uh, there's people that also teach at universities. We uh, we teach at one too, and we're always looking for new hardware to to better aid our students and our firm. So if you if if that's you, head on head on over to dell.com forward slash inside the firm. Click on the save now button. You'll be awarded a member ID, and you will you will be able to uh, take advantage of some discounts. You can also call one eight five five. Two five two seven nine two zero. That's one eight five five two five two seven nine two zero. After you get your member ID, so take advantage of that. And without further ado, here's the show. Welcome to Inside the Firm. Today I have Mark Summy, and he is the CEO of Minute Seven, which does time and expense tracking for professional service businesses. Minute Seven helps professionals service businesses get paid faster from their customers. The company is bootstrapped, has thousands of users, and doubled its revenue last year. Prior to Minute 7, Mark worked in finance and private equity. He has met a lot of successful entrepreneurs along the way before deciding to make the leap himself. He walks to the office every day and loves the autonomy that comes with running your own business. In his younger days, Mark had ambitions for comedy and completed training at Second City in Chicago. Now he lives in the suburbs, has three kids under the age of five, and he sleeps sometimes. Mark, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for reaching out. Um, before we get into Minute 7, uh, I want to hear all about it, uh, but let's take a trip down memory lane if you would. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about uh, going from comedy in, sec- <laughs> in Second City, Chicago. I love it. I've done some stand-up myself. Okay. Um, 
and I, I like to think I'm funny, but to your time yeah. in finance, if you could just, and, and private equity to where you are now, kind of unpack it for us. Give us a little bit about who Mark is. Yeah, love to. So I uh, born and raised in Dayton, Ohio, uh, went to school in Dayton and then, uh, like a lot of Midwestern folks, uh, Chicago kind of sucked me in for, for job opportunities. So there wasn't a lot going on in Dayton, Ohio, in terms of job opportunity. And Chicago has a pretty uh, diverse uh, economy. So there's lots of different things you can do here. So that attracted me. Uh, I started out in finance. Um, but, you know, I, I took Second City classes sort of as on a whim. I grew up always liking... Um, comedy Saturday Night Live you know a lot of the stars are pulled out of Second City um, so I just was doing it nights and weekends uh, there's a there's a training program there where you go through a series of uh, classes I think there's five levels um, I got to like the fourth level and then it started to get really serious and <laughs> that's mm. sort of where I was like I don't know this probably I didn't feel it you know we're starting to have to do like rehearsals for shows versus just sort of learning improv. Uh, improv itself, I think, has a lot of um, cool things about it. Like it, if I were to sort of uh, bring it down into one thing that I think the value of improv, which is it gets you comfortable being uncomfortable mm -hmm. um, because you're basically thrown on stage and then you're supposed to make people laugh without any <laughs> plan, really. Um, which, you know, is very uncomfortable feeling. So that sort of helped me in a lot of ways, I think, as I think back on it. Um, I, I was kind of a shyer person growing up in high school or not that outgoing and eventually sort of gave, came out of my shells in, in my 20s. Uh, and I think that was sort of part of it where I, I just got more comfortable uh, and, and that was helpful. But yeah, so I was in finance in Chicago and uh, at some point, I was, you know, I was a commercial lender and realized I didn't want to be a commercial banker. Um, got the entrepreneurship bug because I, I, my customers were small businesses. So I got mm -hmm. to talk to people who were doing their own thing. And I could say, you know, I got really attracted to that. Uh, I could hear their stories, their challenges, their successes. All of it sounded great compared to what I was doing. Um, so that, there I left uh, banking and, and have been and some version of entrepreneurship since then. So the last 10 years or so I've been doing more entrepreneurial things. And the, the last three years I've been running this small business, which is uh, minute seven, which is a software company, which is where I, um, as I was doing various things, I sort of got focused in on software um, and specifically SaaS businesses. And that's, uh, that's what I'm doing now. One, one point you brought up and that I was hoping you would kind of talk about that a little bit deeper is the, what what you what comedy and your what you learn there specifically now improv and how that applies to like a skill I think it's a skill right I mean isn't sales yeah, yeah. sales uh, when you're doing sales if it's cold call or you're are you actually an improve from a client you are doing improv on the yeah. spot you're reacting to them do you have any do you have any anything you can yeah. unpack there for us yeah for sure I mean I think selling is uncomfortable inherently right like if mm -hmm. you're cold calling somebody that's uncomfortable <laughs> um, but if you are, if you can get comfortable doing that comes across to whoever you're talking to. So if I call you up and I'm very nervous and I'm trying to communicate my product or service to you, the, the receiver on the other end is going to recognize that. Whereas if I'm very comfortable knowing, Hey, look, 
I understand I'm on, this is kind of a weird thing where I'm, you don't know me and I don't know you and I'm trying to tell you about this thing. If you sort of just let that wash over you, like you do an improv where you just sort of like, this is uncomfortable. I understand I'm going to have these feelings and you just sort of are able to pass through it. I think that helps in improv and it helps certainly in sales when you're trying to convince somebody or get someone to know you or your product very quickly. Did they have any, did they have any, you know, sort of like a one, two, three steps of how to sort of tackle that from, from improv? Cause we have a lot of entrepreneurs just to, here's what I'm asking you is that we have yeah. a lot of people that are, this is a business podcast. So people are always selling various things. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't remember like a one, two, three step. It was more just reps. <laughs> if I get down to it, like if you think about Malcolm Gladwell and the 10,000 hours, it's sort mm-hmm. of along those lines where you're just sort of like doing it. So the more you do it, the more comfortable you get doing it. Um, so I don't remember any specific steps. I mean, there is, there is this general belief within improv comedy, which is like, you're supposed to say yes. And so whatever the mm. person is saying to you, you just go with it. And then you're supposed to build on top of it, which I think is, is a tactical thing you can use in sales. So if like I'm talking to you and you tell me something personal about yourself, I can build on that. So I'm, you might say you're from the Midwest and I could say, Oh, I'm also from the Midwest. And then you sort of create a bond there. Um, so the, I guess that is one tactical thing from improv that maybe uh, subconsciously I've taken in, but this theory of like, yes, and so create some sort of agreement between the person you're communicating with and then build on top of that to build a, a connection. I love that. That, that was perfect. I, w- I was hoping it would, there would be some go- kind of golden nugget out of there. And, and that's exactly it. I think we've talked about that before too. And our, uh, you know, just Alex and I talking on the podcast as business owners of, trying it's some kind of personal connection. You know, you're walking through their house, you see a painting. Can you, can you relate in some kind of way? Um, yeah. Let's, let's move on to minute seven. So yeah. tell us about how and why you, you started it. Yeah. So um, it is sort of a different story. So I didn't start it um, in that path from banking to entrepreneurship. I decided I want to, wanted to own and operate a SaaS business. So that was how I got introduced to minute seven. So minute seven was started in 2008. Um, by a technical founder who had started it on the side and had gotten it to a certain size, but it was a a side hustle for them. Um, So they hadn't invested a lot of uh, time or money or resources into the product. So it had largely since it had built, it just had been under invested. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I saw that and I I originally reached out to the founder to buy the company outright. through that process, we couldn't get to an agreement on a purchase price, but what we ended up was uh, I uh, took over day-to-day running of the business and got uh, some ownership in the business as well. So uh, I got to know the founder really well. I explained to him what I wanted to do with it. He got excited about that. And so that's what I've been doing the last three years is sort of executing on this plan that, that we came up with. Um, and yeah, so what we do and, and what we're focused on, as you mentioned in the beginning, is professional services firms, which is sort of a generic term. But what that actually means in terms of businesses is we have a lot of architecture firms, so firms like your, your firm. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of law firms, consultants, uh, engineering services. Those are the types of companies that we really connect well with. And the reason is, is because those firms, as maybe you can sort of confirm this for me, but from a time and expense tracking perspective, what they're looking for is something that they, when they're creating a time entry and expense entry, 
they want to associate that time with a customer or job, and then they want to sync it, in our case, QuickBooks. They want to get that into QuickBooks for accounting purposes or billing purposes. So that's what we allow them to do. And we're really focused on professional services. Um, and what that means is like we can simplify the interface. So um, you might have been used like a time tracker that tries to do all things to all people. So it has sort of a clock in, clock out functionality, which isn't something that architecture firms typically use. They just want to say, I worked four hours on this project on this date and they want to be done. They don't want the, the timer. They don't want all these other features. Uh, so we really condense that all into the interface and really focus it on that individual um, or that type of firm. Um, so we make it really easy for them to track those time and expenses and get it into QuickBooks and get paid. Uh, that's the way we like to think of it is we help you get paid faster by making it really easy to track those things. If you could give a comparison I, and correct me if I'm wrong. So we, just for the record, we, we yeah. use toggle. So I would, I would love sure. to hear a comparison between your guys' tracking software and toggle. And then also correct me if I'm wrong here, but isn't there already a built in QuickBooks timer and it, it, are you guys just leveling up, you know, that version? Yeah. So a couple of things like toggle, I don't think, my last understanding they're they're integrated with some things but i don't think they're integrated with quickbooks which Correct. is an important feature that we offer um so that's one thing and then the other thing i think is what what i described which i think toggle tries to be all things to all people so they do have a lot of those uh additional features but i think it's at the expense of the interface so they do have you know when you're entering time it's sort of designed in a way so that a person who is clocking in or clocking out or they want GPS tracking, like all those things are sort of built into the product. Whereas we strip all that out. Um, so it's, it's a much simpler interface. Um, and then in terms of QuickBooks, yes. Yeah, so QuickBooks does have a time tracking functionality, but yeah, we're, we're built on top of that. So we have features like the ability to review and approve time within minute seven. So if you're a, an architecture firm with 10 people, and you want a really easy workflow where like all your time entries are in one system and all your expense entries, you can review and approve them. That's all in, in our system. Um, and then you can do things like there's features like restricting them to certain customers. So if like you had a contractor and you hired them to do work on a specific job in QuickBooks, they might have access to all your customer list when they're creating a time entry. But in minute seven, they would just see the one customer that you want them to see. They would just enter in their hours worked and they would be done. So uh, it's a little bit nuanced, but it really does get down to simplicity and ease of use and um, some of those features that make sense for workflow purposes of like a, a 10 person uh, firm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that breakdown. Yeah. I think that was very helpful. Um, and then to confirm your uh, premonition, you're right. You know, that is what, that is exactly what we're looking for in service-based industries. Uh, like you, you know, attorneys, engineers, architects, you know, that sort yeah. of thing. Anybody that's performing that kind of service, um, designers, uh, what is, what was the biggest hurdle in starting? Well, I know you didn't start it, but what was the biggest yeah. hurdle as you, as you jumped into minute seven and saw the day to day and, and kind of moved it in the direction that you did? Yeah. So the biggest thing was this, that it, it had been underinvested. So like the product looked and felt like it was built 10 years ago because it was. Mm. Um, so uh, we redesigned the interface to refresh in that. And then there was like some feature gaps. So because they hadn't invested in the product. So if you looked at our product against Toggle or somebody else, there was sort of like what people had and then there was what we had. So we had to close that gap. And now I think we've started to exceed what other people have, but that 
those are the biggest challenges. Sort of interface was old, looked, felt old, and then feature set wasn't quite where we needed it. Um, so those are those are things we, we focused on at the beginning. How is how is COVID? I, I can't do a podcast now without mentioning COVID. Sure, uh, because everybody's it's affecting everybody differently. Has it helped you guys in the sense that people are now more? They're trying to keep track of time, especially with the working remotely. You know, yeah. if you could, if you could unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So it's interesting. I think you know we sort of have two things that are sort of counterbalancing each other. One is which our co- our companies are small businesses. So in that perspective, we've sort of felt maybe some headwinds um, in terms of like small businesses are sort of adversely impacted from this. Um, but the the sort of uh, wind at our back is that in an environment like COVID, like you mentioned, for the, a lot of people before they use our product, they're using paper or spreadsheets in an mm-hmm. office, mm-hmm. and that is no longer an option. So um, we have seen an increase um, from people who are coming from spreadsheets or papers. And then the other thing that sort of helped us or winded our back is that we are focused on professional services firms. So unlike some other time tracking systems that are focused on like retail, like retail, I would imagine if, you, if that was your customer base, you're getting crushed right now because, yeah, you know, if you're designing a time tracker for someone to clock in at a, at a store, that store is closed and, and they don't need time tracking anymore. So overall, I think we're sort of in a net positive. I mean, if you look at our customers, we're still continuing to grow. So from that metric, but we do, we sort of, it's sort of a weird, weird space. Like for, I imagine a lot of companies, we sort of have a couple different things going on, but uh, overall I, f- I feel like we're, we're lucky to be a software company in this environment. We're able, our team's able to work remotely, um, we already were working remotely, so we haven't been impacted from a day-to-day standpoint that much from COVID. Yeah, I think if your software does it, what you're saying it does, and I believe it does, I, I think you're only going to see growth um, from here on out, especially as uh, it kind of drives me nuts. There are still a lot of architects uh, that are, they have no sense of time management, and it really comes down to the, just lacking a tool like this. You know, that, that, really, that really separates people from just sticking for their whole life, maybe being a sole practice practitioner into trying to grow a firm. So, you know, I, totally. I, I think one thing that I see all the time is that they don't, if you think about what they're billing per hour, right. And then they're spending that time managing timesheets. You're like, if it's an hour or two a week, that's like billable hours that you could be doing, applying to your customers. So um, using software like ours can really, to your point, help, people manage their time much more efficiently and help them grow from like a one person firm to a five to a 10 person law firm using tools to, to manage that time, I think is the way to do it. Yeah. A lot of these apps, right? I mean, the idea is people are creating these apps or pieces of software to solve problems that they see. So, you know, I think they're, they're great products because they're solving problems. I mean, that, that's the key to capitalism. If you solve a product, if you solve, solve a problem and you can do it successfully and multiply it, boom, then, then you can become wealthy and successful and all of those things. But when, when people like me or somebody else who has, maybe even yourself, I don't, you know, it sounds like you didn't have a software background. Yeah. How, do, how do you get over that kind of mental block of, well, I, I know the problem I need to solve. I, here's how I would solve the problem. But like, obviously I'm not a software engineer. Yeah, it's a challenge. Like it was hard for me. It, um, I think it's one of the reasons why it took me a while to get in this position so when I left banking and I ended up here, the the gap in between was spent 
working at software companies. So I did two primary roles. One was product management. So I, I worked with developers on building products and the other was marketing and, and sales. Um, so that's really what I look at my role today is, you know, we have developers that build the software, but because I had a couple years of experience of working closely with developers building product, I sort of had enough. I mean, I still think it's a gap, honestly, in my skill set. but if I have a good enough team to, to fill that gap, and I've done it enough times that you sort of learn like, you know, certain things to look out for and sort of help you build products that work well. Um, but it is, it is a challenge. I think it, um, if I were to go back to 18 year old Mark, I would probably say, you know, make sure you study computer science for at least for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in hindsight, like it, it's also like today, it just, I mean, I could go back and I've thought about, taking some of these boot camps and trying to learn it. But um, ultimately I just think my skills are in a different place. And if I could find good talent that can write software and I know enough to, to manage the product, then I feel like I have the skills necessary to run on a software company. Yeah. Do you have any advice for uh, other entrepreneurs that are listening right now um, who maybe want to do something similar to what you've done with minutes, minute seven. And I mean specifically kind of how you, now that I'm, I'm learning about this too, how you, yeah. you identified a company that you were like, wow, I think the brilliance is here and I, I could take it to a different place. Yeah. So I think there's two things I would recommend. One, like it's scary. If, like for me, I'm glanced over it, but the hardest thing in my career path was leaving the job at the bank and join. Like I took a, a, a half cut in salary. It was much less stable. Like there was, this was a startup. It just started company versus a bank that had been around a hundred years. And that's hard. And it, I think it's perceived in my mind, if I looking back like that, that was a leap, but it's also just sort of, if your mind is always drifting there, there's a mm -hmm. reason like I'm okay with that risk. Um, and if you're, if you're like, like-minded and you feel that, that sort of ache to do something different. I mean, my transition was, I was like moonlighting as an online marketer. So it sort of built up my confidence that I could do the job. Um, but I would encourage folks one, if that is there, like, figure out how you can do something to sort of build your confidence that you could do it. And then I would encourage you if it is sort of constantly bothering you to actually make the leap. Um, the thing that sort of the framework I used was like, I didn't want to be 80 years old and wonder if I still, if I had a 40 year career at the bank, like, do you want to look back and be like, I tried it and it didn't work out or, um, or not. Um, so that I would encourage people to sort of think of things in that way. And then, in terms of like logistically trying to get a, your arms around a company, the things that attracted me to SaaS are one, the reoccurring revenue model. So like with a lot of service pro businesses and products, you have to sell and then you have to sell the product over and over again. Mm -hmm. the, the nice thing about SaaS is you can sell it once to a customer and then they can be a customer for years. Can, can um, you unpack that acronym too? Sure. SAS. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, SAS stands for software as a service. Okay. Um, and so the, the nuance of that or the sort of value of that is that what I described, which is I can sell that software once and then I'm going to charge you monthly for it. Um, and now it's my job to make sure that software works and I'm going to be constantly making it better. So you, you get the value and that is a good trade. Um, but if you do treat your customers well and your product does work, SaaS companies tend to, or customers tend to stick around for a while, which creates a lot of value, right? I don't have to go resell that, that company every month or every year. They're, they're just a customer. If I'm doing a good job, I'm going to keep them. 
So that is what really attracted me to it. Um, and then, yeah, the other thing, like you mentioned, is sort of I looked at Minute 7. Some people might might have seen it three years ago and looked like, oh, it looks like doesn't look that great. Mm-hmm. It's in like a really competitive space. I looked at it and I saw, well, if we – it has – it's been around 10 years or nine years in that case. It has customers, so they must they must have found product market fit. They must have been, like to your point, they're solving a problem, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're doing something well. And if we could just invest in it and take it to the next level, I think this is a good base to start from. Um, they're solving a problem. Let's invest in the product. We can get we can grow this company. Uh, okay, yeah, but that was that was great. Uh, one last question that I ask everybody is, and you kind of already alluded to it, was uh, knowing what you know now. Uh, yeah. If you could, if you could go back in time and you could, and you could tell your former self one yeah. piece of advice before going into this, what would it be? Probably to leave the bank earlier. Uh, I worked six years at the bank. It probably should have been like two or three. Um, but I, I don't feel that much regret over it. Um, it sort of needed that internal struggle to sort of, I think eventually get where I, I wanted to go. Um, and, that would be really the only thing. I, if you look at my, some people could look at my LinkedIn and think, wow, that guy really was bon- bouncing around for a few years. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was just, I was learning, right? I was sort of mm-hmm. figuring out what I wanted to do. And I finally feel, I joke with my wife, I'm 40 or uh, 41 years old now. And when I got on minute seven, I was 38. And I joked with my wife at 38. I said, I think I finally figured out what I want to do with my life. <laughs> so it, uh, it took me a number of years, but um just, I guess that would be other advice is like, keep going. Um, I had a winding road. It wasn't a direct path to owning and operating a small business, but I got there. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that, that's not as succinct as I wanted, but, uh, I would say two things. One, if you feel the itch, you know, you can make the leap earlier than maybe you think. And then two is just, if, if you do have that itch, keep going, you can eventually get to something that, that, uh, really meets your needs and, and, as what, what you're searching for. Yeah. The only thing, the only thing I would add the add to making that leap is, and I would just remind everybody who's listening is that, uh, some of the best companies and some of the most happiest people started their company in a, in a, at a time like this when they were literally forced to do it. So maybe you're right. forced out of that job. So think about great. the silver linings, right? Yeah. Great point. I think you're right. I think there's a lot of people that are starting companies right now because they're forced to maybe that, they were downsized, but you can view it as an opportunity. Like you don't have the, one of the things I like about running your own business is the autonomy. I'm sure you probably feel that same way where I don't have someone that's telling me what to do on a daily basis. You can control your schedule. And if you work hard and you're focused on the customer, you can, you can build a good business. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, this, this is a great conversation. If people, if people like what they hear about minutes, minute seven and yourself, um, where can they find and follow you? Yeah, company. I'd love, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'd love any, any architects or small businesses or engineering service firms that are listening, go to minute7.com. Um, we do have a three, a free 30 day trial. So you can sign up for the product and use it for 30 days. You can invite your employees to try it out. You can sync it with QuickBooks. You can do everything that you can need to, to test the system. So I would encourage anyone who's interested to do that. And then if you want to email me directly, or if you have questions about SAS or minute seven or anything. My email address is just mark, M-A-R-C at minute7.com. Uh, I'd love to chat with you or if you, if you have anything that I can help with, I'd love to, love to try to help. Beautiful. Thanks for being on, Mark. Yeah, thank you. 